Can't start without you. Hi. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning, all. Welcome to Reflection. The Lord is with you. Amen. I have another, I brought another word picture this morning, and this time I did remember where I heard it. I heard it on James Finley's podcast, Turning to the Mystics, if you ever listened to that. Um, it's really been a, a good image for me, so I wanted to share it. If you will, picture with me a man looking into a mirror and seeing his reflection. Now change your perspective and seeing it from the reflections image perspective to his man. Okay? So one day, the reflection begins a conversation with the man. I've been with you for a very long time. I know your ways. I dress like you. I move like you. I think it's time for me to break out on my own. You've taught me well. Well, his man says, you are made to be my reflection. This is your reality. If you're going to go walk away, it's not going to go well for you. Nevertheless, the reflection says, I think I'm going to go. So this is from Thomas Merton. There is no greater disaster in the spiritual life than to be immersed in unreality, for life is maintained and nourished in us by our vital relation with realities outside and above us. When our life feeds on unreality, it must starve. It must therefore die. And that's what happened to the reflection who forgot how his real life worked. I don't think any of us, at least not those of us in this room, would ever purposefully walk away from our, our creator. But um, recently, I have found myself quite a distance from that reflective light. Did you ever find yourself like frustrated, discouraged, angry, feeling all the feels of the big ego? You, like me, might re have realized that you have kind of drifted away. So this is how it looks for me. First, my prayer. Change that person. Then, well, I'll try harder. I'll work at it. Then, well, I'm not doing well with this strategy. I'll ask God to help me. You realize all along I want my way and I want help getting my way. And then I heard myself saying, I can do this. And then I realized I was really saying, I should be able to do this. Then the turning. Turning around is to repent, turning away and turning toward. And when I come to my senses and return to my mirror, I am returning to being. I am brought back to the real. Jesuit theologian Walter Burghardt once described contemplation as taking a long, loving look at the real. So just a reminder that this is our way. It's not just a one time and done. It's a way of living. And this is the gift from our creator. At times we might find ourselves even saying, this is unreal. Aha, maybe it is. <laughs> Pray with me, will you? <clears throat> Lord God, in you we live and move and have our being. Forgive us when we think otherwise. Thank you for the gifts of the real life of knowing you and reflecting you. Draw us back to long, loving looks at the real. Thank you for this place to listen and to practice your presence. May we be receptive and reflective, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Thank you, Nancy. Um, 
Contemplation, according to Paul, would include a lot of things. And one of them, from 2 Corinthians 3, uh, he said that we are beholding his image as if we're reflecting it. And by beholding it, we are being transformed from glory to glory. So, so we're um, not a perfect reflection of the one that we're staring at, but by continuing that gaze, we can make adjustments until we become what we're supposed to be. So maybe as we spend time in silence now, you can be, as it were, a mirror before Jesus and just just notice him and think of all the reasons why he is beautiful why he's good, why he's truth, and why you love him. Relax, be in this moment, you're here now, nothing you have to do, but relax and open your heart to God.
I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Paul begins, him, and he means Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. About 20 years ago, my wife Barbara attended uh, a lecture at uh, the hospital where she worked. A psychologist was there teaching on compassion fatigue syndrome. It's a fairly common condition among healthcare workers that they see so much suffering and they see the sorrow of patients and family and, and the hardship that after a while they can't take anymore and they either have a breakdown or they quit or they grow numb if not treated. Uh, they stop feeling empathy for their patients. They stop feeling their pain and their grief. Have you ever been treated by a, a nurse or doctor who is like that? <laughs> you know, hey, mercy here, you know, that hurts. Oh, come on. Um, of course, my wife is a physical therapist, so um, uh, she had a sign. First time I went to visit her uh, where she was working, she had a sign hanging um, that said whining with a circle and a line through it. Um, one time I told her, Barbara, people are asking me if being married to a physical therapist, if I get massages all the time. <laughs> and she said, no, let them know that I teach you how to live with the pain. <laughs> so, um, so the speaker was giving the audience a list of symptoms and Barbara was going down that list checking boxes saying yeah that's Chuck yep that's Chuck too yep that's Chuck I was I was burned out and being burned out I seriously question whether I should stay in ministry or not oh Dang, I shouldn't be thinking about that right now. I just thought, where would my life be today? <laughs> you know, I could be on some beach in some tropical area <laughs> sipping uh, lemonade and looking at the waves. But here I am. Um, so, uh, okay, so I decided one morning, I told Barbara, I'm going to fast today until evening. I just want to seek God and get answers. And so... I read scripture and I prayed and I sat and I listened and did not get an answer. So when the sun set, we went off to see a movie and I broke my fast with a salted pretzel and a Coke, <laughs> which is how you do that, by the way. Uh, and um, there was a moment in the movie where this, this scene was developing and I felt like God was saying, 
pay attention. The movie starred um, Morgan Freeman as Alex Cross, one of his detective movies. And uh, a co-star, uh, Monica something, who uh, played this woman, Jazzy. And they're having this conversation, and uh, this is the movie, Along Came a Spider. Morgan Freeman's character, Cross, said, you do what you are, Jazzy. She said, you mean you are what you do? Cross, no, I mean you do what you are. You're born with a gift. If not that, then you get good at something along the way. And what you're good at, you don't take for granted. You don't betray it. She said, what if you do betray it? He said, then you betray yourself. That's a sad thing. I knew that God meant that for me. In, in that moment, I knew he was saying, you do what you are. This is what you do. This is who you are. I was going to stay in ministry, but something had to change. My vision for the church had grown old and tired. Reading through Colossians, the Lord stopped me right at these two verses. And he said, this is what you will do. This is who you are. And immediately, I felt totally comfortable with that. I could see how, how parts of that were me. And so Paul became my mentor and my example in ministry. Paul wanted these, these Christians at Colossae to know how privileged they were. In verse 26, Paul says, uh, I'm going back up to verse 25. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. He tells them that, that there's a mystery that's been hidden for ages. Now, in the New Testament, the word mystery does not mean a puzzle or an enigma. It refers to something unknown and unknowable. It's locked away in a dimension that we don't have access to. We don't have the key. We can't get there. Moses said it like this in, in Deuteronomy. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So there are secret things we cannot know, but there are revealed things that God wants us to know. We might not know that God is all good if it weren't revealed to us. We, there's a lot of things of God we wouldn't know. The only way we can know God is through his self-revelation. So whatever knowledge we have of God, we've received it in revelation. 
but there are still secrets. So what was the mystery? What had been hidden by God for ages? Well, it was that God, the Savior of Israel, was going to open a door to the Gentiles. And that Gentiles were going to begin to enjoy all the privileges and benefits that God had shown his people. This was news. This was mystery. No one expected this, not even Jesus' disciples. And when Gentiles became interested in Jesus and in joining up, the disciples had a hard time with it. Peter had to be given a revelation from heaven to persuade him to go to the home of a Gentile who wanted to hear the story of Jesus. And when he went, he was making apologies as soon as he walked in the door. And I hear him stuttering, oh, you know, as, as a Jew, I'm not supposed to be in your home. I'm not supposed to be here with all you Gentile people. You know, it's, it's like I ate pork this morning and now I'm in trouble. Uh, I mean, really, it was, it was just like that. I crossed the line. When he got back to Jerusalem, immediately he's interrogated. You went into the home of a Gentile. And so he, he had to tell his story of what happened there and how God <coughs> met the Gentiles in the home of Cornelius that day. And the Holy Spirit <coughs> hit them the way he had hit the Jewish Christians at first. Um, and when they heard these things, they fell silent, that is, his critics. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And you can hear the shock in their voices. It, it was happening and they still were resisting it, still not believing it. Because it had always been Israel, Israel, Israel. And the Gentiles were always the foil, the, uh, the antagonist to the protagonist that now Gentiles are coming in. This is the mystery Paul's referring to. And he, he mentions this mystery several times in his letters, uh, in uh, Romans, in Ephesians. I want to read you what he says in Ephesians. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to humankind in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery now revealed. And, and God has at last made this known in the Colossians are privileged to be beneficiaries of this. And that's what Paul's telling them. You're now, you're, you're now on the team. You're now acceptable. <sighs> I wish that we could hear Paul's words the way that they heard them. Because they knew about the exclusiveness of the Jewish community. A lot of Gentiles at that time, especially in the Roman Empire, thought that the Jews 
were atheists because they only believed in one God. They didn't believe in all of the Greek and Roman deities. And now um, these Gentiles are coming to faith in this God. They're, They're crossing the line. In verse 27, Paul says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The you here is plural. So Christ was among them in their community. He was, he was within Jewish or Gentile communities of faith. But he was also with each person who received him. Uh, you know, in English, that's a great thing about you, and I'm talking to you, <laughs> is that it can be plural and singular at the same time. Um, not in every other language, but you is, is you, and you, and you, and you. And all of you use. Anyway, um, Paul explained this, this Christ in you more, more fully in Romans chapter 8. You, however, not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It would take some time to, to, to sort all this out and really appreciate it, but Christ is in you. The spirit of Christ is in you. Reading both passages, I notice that Paul is referring to Jesus as Christ. Not Jesus, not Jesus Christ. He's talking specifically in terms of Christ. It's not that Jesus and Christ are not the same person, not the same entity. Jesus is the Christ. But Paul chooses to refer to Christ rather than Jesus. Now, Christ derives from the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And both words mean the anointed or the anointed one. Mashiach and Christos, Christ. Jesus is the unique anointed one of prophetic promise. Israel is looking forward to the coming of the anointed one. I think that for Paul, in this context, Christ may refer specifically to his spiritual role. He came to be the Christ. And as God's appointed representative, be the shepherd ruler. It's in his role as the Christ, that Jesus takes his place in our lives. 
He, he's in us as the Christ. And whatever salvation the Christ meant to the Jewish people for all those years, whatever um, they hoped would happen when the, the Christ arrived, that's what's happening in us now. The liberation from, from all the bondages, the, the victories over all the enemies and, and evils. Um, the Christ is doing this, this for us. Recently, and I don't know why it took so long to happen, but recently I've been wrestling with the idea of Christ in me. In me where? In my brain? Is he, is he floating around among those neurons? In my bones? In, other, in another organ? I, I even wondered for a while if Paul was just saying this metaphorically, that his influence is at work within us, and not that he's actually living somewhere inside of me. But I don't think so. I'm pretty sure Paul meant it literally. In the Romans passage that I read, he said, we have the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of Christ who dwells in us. So it's not that he's located somewhere in our body and that when we die, he has to escape. I'm out of here. Um, it's the fact that your true self is spirit. And he connects with you spirit to spirit. And it's your spirit that he inhabits. He inhabits your true self. So Paul could say the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I, th I just think we'd be, I'd be really different than what I am now if I always thought about the fact that Christ is in me. I mean, if in me, then he's always with me. He's always near. And I don't ever have to feel out of touch. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ beside me, Christ above me, Christ below me. Have you heard that before? But best of all, Christ in me, the hope of glory. There is a real sense of Christ being in our true self, in our aware self. And when, when I came to terms with that, it just opened it up for me. Like, wow, you're really here. The most beautiful sermon of the 20th century that I've ever read was preached by G. Campbell Morgan, one of my dad's favorites. And um, he said that we rejoice because of Jesus' first coming and his second coming because the mystery of his personal coming into our own life. Christ in you, that is the great miracle, the great mystery, the individual fact on which all the other facts of Christianity are based. 
and through which the other forces of Christianity become operative in the history of humankind. Christ in me, the Christ light, so that I see with his eyes. Christ in me, the Christ aspiration, so that I desire with his desire. Christ in me, the Christ impulse, so that I am driven as he was driven. Christ in me, the Christ consciousness, so that the world's sin burdens me in the same fashion as it burdens him, and the world's agony hurts me as the world's agony hurt him. It gets even better, this sermon, as it goes on. And I'm tempted to read the whole thing to you, but I don't think you need two sermons in one day, and if you compare mine to his, you'd never listen to me again. (laughs) So... um, so back when I was wondering, you know, do I stay in ministry? And Jesus gave me my job description. This is the job description that he gave me, the verses where we began. Jesus spoke to me through these, these verses. What does Paul say here? He says, him we proclaim. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. That was to be my priority, to present Jesus and promote him. Now, this has proved to be tricky, not for me, but I think for almost every person in any kind of ministry. Um, Ministers are like everyone else. We want to know that we're good at what we do. But in the ministry, you can't do that. I mean, um, this is the hidden life. And you're not the one who's supposed to be out front. Jesus is the one who's supposed to be out front. You always have to make sure you're standing behind him and, and that you're not trying to get applause. You never, you never work for that. The truth is, there's no way to calculate the effectiveness of a minister. But what happens a lot, instead of proclaiming Jesus, we are promoting ourselves. Uh, okay. All I can say is, I'm not perfect, but I was with another minister one time. We both, his wife and, and Barbara and I were invited to the home of these people. And this other minister, everything was statistics. And he just kept going and going and going with his statistics, all numbers, numbers of baptisms this year. Uh, numbers of people in their new believer class, numbers of dollars coming in, numbers of square feet that their you know, um, complex now occupied. My cousin used to say that, that ministers have an edifice complex. Uh, um, okay, so it, it can be volumes of books that you've sold, um, an article in a well-known Christian magazine, it can be all kinds of things that, that it's easy to derive some kind of pleasure or satisfaction from. And then 
to strive to make that happen, to make sure that your, your name is out there somewhere, when we're supposed to be making sure that Jesus' name is everywhere. Because ours is nothing, and his is everything. In uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul said, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. We're here for Jesus' sake. We're here to serve, and he's everything. I enjoy talking about Jesus. I enjoy telling stories of Jesus and explaining his teaching as best I can. That comes first, to present Jesus, to bring him into focus for people. Because for a lot of people, he's just a name. It's, you know, they, they don't know the, the person that well. And I, I want people to know the person. I, I want to introduce you to the most wonderful person I've ever met in my life. It's a, what I do is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, it is extension and expansion because it grows as it goes out. As such, the love of Jesus is revealed in broader dimensions. I mean, going for Gentiles, that's a broader dimension. Going for alcoholics and drug addicts, that's a broader dimension. Going for hippies, that's a broader, a broader dimension. Going for gays and lesbians, that's a broader dimension, folks. And God's love goes there. And if we're listening and, and walking with Jesus, we go there too. Oh, okay, so then Jesus says, Jesus, then Paul says, warning everyone. Literally, this, this Greek word, pers- the etymology doesn't always tell you what a word means, but literally this word is put in mind. He says, we are putting something in your mind. And I would say um, providing biblical and spiritual counsel, personal care, warning beforehand, you know, cautioning, um, but also responding to needs and questions, you know, being there. I, I realized years ago doing a hospital visit. Um, the person I was visiting was in intensive care and uh, her family was in the waiting room uh, of the intensive care unit. And I realized that when, when I arrived, because of what I represented, brought them more relief and hope than when their doctor showed up. And it's not me, but it's what I represented to them. So, so being that servant who, who represents Jesus and is there to listen and to care. My dad had a, a rough around the edges assistant minister, uh, Pastor Romaine. He was always Romaine, last name, because he had been a Marine Corps um, uh, E-8, as high as, as he could go 
Um, and he gave me some interesting counsel at times. Um, when people come in for counseling, it's a husband and wife, the wife is always right, the husband's always wrong. Um, she's got the discernment, you know, trust her and don't listen to him. Uh, he, said, he said, when people come to me for counseling, I have two questions. The first question, is Jesus your Lord? And if they say no, I say, well, what are you doing here? Go make Jesus your Lord and then, you know, then come back. Is Jesus your Lord? If they say yes, he says, I ask him, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> Go to Jesus. <laughs> Teaching everyone, Paul says. We're, we're, we're giving away the information that God's given to us, informing, instructing. Help people make sense of the Bible. Clarify things for people. He says, with all wisdom. Well, okay, so I feel sorry for you. Um, I've never been big on wisdom, uh, but, oh, I'm wise about a lot of things now for having done the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, so, but I, you know, I didn't have enough wisdom beforehand not to do the wrong. Anyway, um, Wisdom in scripture, and in scripture, wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's almost like common sense. You read the Proverbs and you go, well, yeah, of course. Some people don't get why I study certain subjects besides biblical studies and, and theology. Why would I be interested in neuroscience or clinical uh, psychology? Uh, why sociology? Um, why dabble in physics? Well, what pulled me into neuroscience began actually before neuroscience was a popular term, before it was even used. Um, Prior to that, there was the cognitive sciences. And prior to that, there was just mostly statistical studies. Um, and that's how we learned about the mind, by experimenting with rats and monkeys and, and humans. Um, so in the 70s, when in Berkeley they were doing sleep studies and, and, and experiments with LSD and that sort of thing, they began to produce a, a volume of literature on human consciousness. What is human consciousness? And they did um, um, electrocardiogram studies of the brain, mapping out different frequencies uh, of the brain, alpha, delta, you've heard about the different, maybe you haven't. Okay, so yeah, Chuck, why are you reading that crap? Well, uh, uh, okay, so uh, people in meditative states going into this very low volume, quiet, relaxing place. Why was I reading that stuff on the nature of human consciousness? 
And when the, when the cognitive sciences began to produce more evidence of a more scientific nature, I began browsing that. But when neuroscience hit, and we could finally, through, through PET scans and fMRI, watch the brain of a, of a human person in action, things just exploded. And they're, they're constantly exploding ever since. Why would I be interested in that? Because when I was reading the Bible and Elijah was hearing so clearly from God, almost like clairvoyance, and Elisha, the same thing. And when Peter looked at a cripple and knew God would heal him, or Paul looked at a blind man and knew God would heal him, I wanted to know how to become more conscious of God and more aware of what's going on around me. Is it discipline or is it all grace? Is there a part of my brain that I can train to be more aware of God? Or is it simply a gift and you have it or you don't? And I'm such a dolt that I think, well, it's a gift and I don't have it. I give up. But what if it isn't? I mean, what if it's more than, yes, what if it's grace and discipline? And, and the more discipline you give to it, the more grace you receive at each level. I, you know, so it's like I just want to know God's presence more vividly. I want to be as aware as, as I could be because I just think it's going to be a useful gift. So... Sometimes I just know things. When, when I was on staff at my dad's church, I, I, well, we had to. I was standing at one of the doors after the service greeting people as they left. And this couple came by, and they were really nice. They said hi. I didn't know them. But um, uh, I, I looked at her, and I said, when are you due? And she said, I'm not pregnant. Oh. And then she started laughing. Oh, yeah, I'm doing three months. Who, <laughs> you know, what intuition? Okay. Um, I, I want to know where pastoral counseling leaves off and clinical therapy begins. Because I don't want to make mistakes in that. I don't want to take on something I have no aptitude for, no education for. I have had personal experience of being in a place where if sheriffs were given a modicum of understanding about psychosis, they would have not assumed that the person they were dealing with was on PCP, because he wasn't. He had a psychotic break. And they were so cruel to this person because they didn't understand. They go, oh, yeah, it's just another druggie. And I mean, they brutalized them, and I witnessed that. So I, I don't want to make mistakes like that. Paul says that we're counseling everyone, we're teaching everyone with all the wisdom that we can acquire for this. 
And he was well versed in, in uh, Greek literature, at least to some extent he could quote from it freely, um, as he was well versed in scripture. But he says, we, we do this to present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, mature is complete. It, it, you know, it's like you're working on a project and you keep, keep at it, keep at it until it's finished. And when it's finished, it's, it's perfect now. And that's what he's saying here, that we want to present everyone in their complete spiritual growth state. Then in verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is my work. Sometimes it is toil and struggling, but it is also the presence and support of God's spirit. So I can't complain. And, and there are times when I think I'm going to bomb and the spirit does a course correction and every turn, everything turns out all right. I want to tell you now, spend more time in the scriptures every week. I want to tell you, read scripture carefully and think about what you read and hold on to it. I want to tell you to spend time in prayer every week. Pray your anxieties and sit in silence with your heart open to God. I want to tell you to spend some time in Christian conversation, either with friends or in one of our Lexio Divina meetings. Talk Jesus with each other. I want to tell you to do these things, but I won't. <laughs> I'm going to tell you to do something else. This occurred to me, I think it was, Friday I was reading in Ephesians, came to the last chapter, and Paul has this advice for slaves, spiritual advice for slaves. And he doesn't tell them, read your Bible every day. He doesn't tell them, make sure you're in the synagogue on the Sabbath or church on Sunday and make a midweek Bible study you know, and volunteer for the nursery. He doesn't, you know, they were very limited in what they were able to do, being slaves. So what does he tell them? He tells them to be good people. So, instead of telling you to do all these other things, which I wish you would do, um, <laughs> This week, be kind to someone who isn't doing well and needs kindness. As far as possible, be gracious with everyone. Not everyone makes that possible, but as far as possible, be gracious with everyone. This is how we move towards maturity, completion, perfection. And this is how we present Jesus to the world. And remember, remember, Christ is in you. And when you remember that, 
Find joy in that realization. Would you stand with me, please? May the Lord God, who loves us infinitely and watches over us patiently and wants our best and works at that constantly, bring us closer to the reality of Christ in us and reveal to us the glory of that fact and the hope that goes with it. May the Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.